Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the eastern border. And, um, yeah, you'll laugh, of course, but, uh, of course I have skipped a lot of sleep lately, both because of my nerves and, well, everything's happening, basically. And I also have to apologize because yesterday I had a conversation with Dan Carlin. Yeah, we spoke about our podcasting stuff and journalism stuff and just, uh, just was very happy that I could uh, steal an hour of his time to get some advice on, on life and everything and how everything works. And yeah, then I tried to reanimate my Twitter. And, well, apparently everyone helped out. I mean, uh, thanks to Daryl and, and Dan Carlin and other people. Basically, we're up to f- from 300 or, or 400 to almost 2,000. Well, it's uh, still a long shot from the 25,000 that we had before... Uh, for the ban, and that's on the previous episodes, but uh, but still, it's something, and you know, at least, at least my journalist co- journalism contacts have noticed, so that's good. But uh, what this means is that obviously, a lot of these people who have now joined my Twitter, which is a bit too long to describe here, but I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, a lot of them probably don't know what the Gorgirkin is, for example. So we're gonna have to repeat a bit of the things that are you know, the regular stuff for, for all of you out there, but uh, hey, we have new people. And the new people, we also have Discord, which is actually getting quite alive. But uh, but yeah, in general, by the way, about the whole system of this thing, how I organize my show, again, a thing which you guys probably need to know if you're new here. I do two types of episodes during this war. One of them is the long-form ones, which are interviews or, or something really huge. Those I send to my editor to get edited and they get a theme song and everything. But as I, well, sometimes just spend stupid amounts of time working and sometimes just things happen faster than I can cover them. These additional news episodes, they just come out whenever. Basically, when when the, when the going is tougher, they come out more often and then on the quieter periods, they're, they're slower. But they're not edited. They're just me doing the bare minimum of, of uh, editing on my own and, you know, cutting down the noise and stuff like that. Just because on the tip, my editor works in Europarliament uh, with doing sound editing over there. And, um, well, she just isn't available at all times. So, well, it is what it is. And I hope that you'll for- forgive me. And you guys who are new here, you managed to pop in and uh, kind of... Sorry, I'm also a bit, bit ill, but that's also normal. Uh, you managed to pop in and... Uh, kind of a lucky period of time since I I literally just replaced my microphone so that's that's pretty good except my cat has taken a loving of of cutting and chewing this microphone's wire and it's a weird one with plugs in from the side and whatever at any rate well uh, I want to cover some things today that um, that are not that covered in in the mainstream media for example, I will not be talking about all the atrocities again, because of course they have happened again, of course they're very, very loud and, and public, but I recently did an episode on, on Russian army atrocities, and that was one of the heaviest stuff that I've ever made in my life, so I'd rather not, I just show respect to to the victims. In the same way, I... Uh, yeah, I, I'm probably sure that you'll find out about the American guy who leaked the documents on your end, what I like to say about that, as that sort of needs to get mentioned, is that um, yeah, no one's buying it on the Russian side, on the the Z side, and not even like Solovyov is doing too much. The official propaganda situation there, Solovyov personally stated that you know 
uh, and I quote here, the access rate of this guy was 0.0. And that, you know, even if it was real, to which, again, many don't believe, because uh, the whole excuse of, you know, he did it because he wanted to look cool, just seems so dumb that, of course, in this conspiracy-run environment, everyone on the pro-war Russian channel just refuses to buy it outright. But even Solovyov kind of doubts the legality of the situation. One thing that I uh, want to mention, though, about um, document leaks is about other document leaks. Since on the April 13th, an article came out in New York Times. And and they're just great. I mean, uh, to those of you who listen to the show regularly, you'll understand why I find it funny. And I add another notch on my beat, uh, have beaten the New York Times here. Because the article starts out with, mm, The depth of the infighting inside the Russian government appears broader and deeper than previously understood, judging from a newly discovered cache of classified intelligence documents that has been leaked online. Yeah, well, you know, uh, to all of you regulars out there, it's not that, you know, we've been talking about their infighting and how hard it is, and it contains nothing surprising that you haven't heard on the show. It's just that apparently, apparently this is why I need this Twitter and social media, because they could have been focusing on other stuff, so to speak, because, once again, it's just sudden surprise to all the Western mainstream analysts, and if they would have listened to a couple of my episodes, maybe they've made a bit more progress and their predictions would be better, but, you know, I digress. Just happy about Twitter. The thing that I really want to talk about today and focus my attention towards is um, is the whole new Russian draft, what what has happened there, and also some adventures with Igor Girkin. But, but Girkin can wait a bit because this draft situation, the new mobilization laws, it's called, is very important. See, Russia's state Duma, literally, like, in 30 minutes, it was the speediest bill ever ever taken into law, passed a set of amendments. Uh, it took about 30 minutes, by the way, for whole three readings. That will make it much harder for Russia's pacifists and those who don't want to join the military to actually evade the draft. And, you know, these amendments will be signed into law by the president very soon. And these, well, I don't know, I translate the word, it means summonses, you know, the thing that you get when you're summoned to go to the commissariat or something. I call them notices. I don't know, summonses seems like a very weird word to me, but, you know, Google Translate does it sometimes. And, and you know, I need it for specific terms. So basically, they have uh, thrown this whole notice system totally away, like completely. And uh, these things will be delivered and published electronically, uh, to, in the system that nobody basically uses. And um, people who are subject to the army service, after that, will not be able to leave Russia, so that, you know, the f- situation in, uh, in the border of, of um, Georgia does not, ha- does not happen again. And furthermore, draft evaders will be barred from driving a vehicle, buying and selling real estate, and applying for credit. A unified digital register will have the draft officials access to personal data on potential conscripts. By the way, part of this uh, register was made by uh, combining the whole fan card that they used in 2018 World Cup. So that's another thing. I'm, I'm actually contacting some some football YouTubers and podcasters to talk about that there because pff, it kind of doesn't fit here, but, you know, have to spread the word around. Basically, these whole changes, my colleagues in Medusa, yeah, these guys uh, run from Latvia, those of you who didn't know, they managed to grab um, a lawyer and a a member of the Russian Human Rights Advocates Coalition for Conscious Objection to Military Service. Yes, that exists still, because, you know, they can't really crack down on everything. They're they're busy with Gidkin at this point. And, uh, of course, the source is anonymous, but um, he told interesting facts there that basically turns this into a 
full-blown totalitarianism from just rough authoritarianism. So, the new amendment package, and by the way, this is important for the war as well, of course, because it means more people there and less willing people, once again, seeing how the previous were treated. This means that uh, there's a package that has four segments, and this, this covers four areas. Digitalization, appeals of draft commission decisions, establishing this register, and, of course, the contract military service, which is separate from the draft. This new law prescribes the creation of a unified register in which active, active these notifications will be recorded. The register is to be maintained by the defense ministry, but the details on how to operate, of course, no one has ever bothered to do that at all. The amendments repeal the former guarantee that the state would provide a public defender for any cause involving violations of the draft law. By the way, that's also interesting. So, yet another violation of, well, basic human rights at this point, not even just laws, which they just ignore completely. Previously, any draft decision would be automatically suspended if appealed. The new legislation is just getting rid of this. Now, even if you are in the process of appealing a draft decision in court or with a higher level military authority, the decision itself will remain in force during the appeal. In the past, if a person was apprehended in the streets and delivered to draft office, he, or even his proxy, would have been able to object to the draft and the official's actions on the very same day. And this important provision protected people from uh, arbitrariness and from abuses of power by the draft officers. Well, not by much, seeing how the first war went, war, sorry, how the first wave of mobilization went on, but, you know, up to a point. It's still possible, technically, to appeal this uh, decision, but uh, it wouldn't be a reliable defense against being sent to the, off to the army barracks. A court still has the power to suspend the execution of a draft decision, but it also dismissed the motion to suspend it or simply just take too long considering it or whatever. As a result, a person who might be ineligible for army service for medical or other reasons would, you know, under the new laws, just have to join nonetheless. Then they are shifting the burdens of compliance and uh, making draft evasion way harder. See, if a person has been summoned to the draft office and doesn't report for duty in 20 days, he's uh, going to be barred from doing things like registering as an independent contractor working as a self-employed professional, applying for credit, driving vehicle, applying for credit, by the way, uh, also accounts for credit cards, yeah, you're banned from using those, or registering a car title. The new law also vests Russia's regional authorities with additional powers to introduce further limitations. They can, for example, suspend payment, subsidy payments to the draft eligible orphans until they report to the draft office. So, you know, another nice little thing. Of course, everyone should abuse orphans. It's totally normal in Russia at this point. This signals, by the way, that, uh, well, the state, if you had any doubts before, this is just pure fascism, like straight up. A uh, military notification about the this, this summons thing is officially considered delivered seven days after its publication in the Unified Draft Register. Not, not until the person sees it. No, no, no. They just publish it. And after seven days, oh, you can go to jail or suffer the consequences. By the way, it's, you know, it applies regardless of whether it had been sent electronically or delivered in person. At this point, its recipient is barred from leaving the country. People subject to military duty are also expected to keep an eye out on the register themselves, and if they miss the draft notice, yeah, you know, it's their own problem. For now, the Gosduma has passed the amendments in the third reading. To take effect, they have to be signed with the president, and that'll happen very soon. 
What is unclear is when the provisions regarding the unified register will become effective, given that the register itself is, well, basically yet to be created. Sort of. There have been rumors about how it is in the latter stages of being, being made, basically. The point of this new legislation is to render the citizens even more defenseless before this random state power. And to the draft offices and to simplify the procedures of seasonal conscription, contract recruitment and mobilization, of course. And, uh, well, at this point, new round of mobilization is just a matter of time. Uh, I don't think they'll announce it publicly because technically, according to law, Russian law, that is, again, funny, right? But um, the first one hasn't even ended yet because there is no order for it ending, so it's just bizarre anyways. As an example of what these changes mean in practice, a person can now be registered in the military reserves in absentia. Until now, he had to report to the draft office, go through a medical exam, and receive a copy of the decision about his eligibility, eligibility for service. The procedure has been totally waived. And, um, yeah, with respect to contract service, the amendments are geared towards enabling the authorities to conduct mass conscriptions just like, did, just like they did in the early days of the war. According to some unverified data, and um, this is literally, I, I'll, I'll put this in air quotes, some unverified data, yeah, it happens in the show. I'm sorry, but at least I say it because uh, don't just don't, don't ask me silly questions about this. It's fine. Well, apparently Russia's forces are planning to recruit about 400,000 new contract soldiers in the end, by the end of the year. Any citizen will now be able to sign a contract with the army, even if he has no training, even if he hasn't, even if he's in the military reserve. Yeah, just random. The same law waives the former scruples about mandatory term, con term conscripts in the past. They can only sign a contract three months after completing their initial tour of duty. Now this stipulation is, of course, gone. Finally, the amended law will deprive citizens of the legal tools they need to appeal the draft commission's decisions and to defend their right to, to deferral or exemption. And, uh, well, what happens to be done then? Well, you see... Leaving the country before anything happens is a fairly reliable way how to evade the draft, but uh, this is a highly personal decision, of course, and, you know, you can't really expect hundreds of thousands of people to stand ready to leave the country in a moment's notice. What's important is that advising people to leave Russia is the only possible defense against the draft quite disempowers those for whom leaving the draft is not an option. It creates an impression that there is no other methods for defending one's rights. People for, for whom who will remain in the country, in Russia that is, need to realize that they have a right not to go to war. And they have various available grounds for deferrals, medical exemptions or alternative service. This, by the way, is a PSA for my Russian audience. These people will have to advocate for those rights by all available means, and even through, well, resistance, if need be. This is, by the way, what the lawyer said. And here I'll put in one of my snarky comments. Well... Obviously, nothing happened, no one went on the streets. However, there is a new petition on change.org. Yes, that, that totally not Russian site, which has no impact in Russia, which ignores all this anyway, so it's a massive shock of naivety, but still. At least it's better than, well, nothing, I guess, or I don't even know. Change.org, I don't think will really work in Russian in this case. Basically, yeah, even when the lawyers state that you might have to resist and protest, and all you do is change.org position in a country where that those things don't work, I, uh, I really don't hold uh, that high hopes about the situation. Because everyone's still recommending just, you know, 
just the usual situation about uh, how you know going against the grain is probably your best bet since they always send the first, send the guys who are meek and quiet types the front first. You know, if you protest, it's harder to send you. And in relation to this, I also wanted to look uh, at uh, how Putin has actually changed his plans for his mobilization, you know, through the whole process of the whole war. First of all, on March the 5th, Putin stated that only professionals, officers and contract soldiers will be taking part in the military operation in Ukraine. He assured Russians that uh, not even a single conscript would be involved in the war, and said that the Russian authorities have no intention of deploying any. Putin then thanked citizens who have helped the report enlistment officers to, to volunteer. But, uh, you know, he also mentioned that um, their help is currently not needed. And, you know, he was also confident at the time that he won't need this. Three days later, on March 8th, International Women's Day, on this address, he reiterated and promised the women of Russia that... Uh, mandatory service conscripts are, quote, are not participating in combat and are not going to. He also vowed, vowed that Russia will not draft, draft soldiers from the reserves. Uh, on the side note, to those of you who know Putin, he also promised that he won't increase the pension age, but, you know, it's, it's Putin and his promises. It is what it is. And then, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, ask why I think that Russia always lies. And the answer is pretty simple, because I have a ton of documentation just literally proving that Russia always lies. It's what they do. It is a part of their existence, and, like, an immutable part of the very thing that keeps the whole country together. And you'll see why further on in this episode yourselves. The very next day, on March the 9th, Russian Defense Ministry acknowledges that there are, actually, conscripts fighting in the war. Quote, Unfortunately, several instances of conscripts serving in units of the Russian armed forces are participating in the conduct of the special military operation on the territory of Ukraine. You know, they discovered this. First of all, and this is again more, more for the new listeners here, I don't know how your countries would react, you know, to the very statement that your, your president just promises something and just blatantly lies and, and find out the next day that, no, there are, like, your conscripts serving there. You know, it is what it is. And now, well, there was a quiet for a bit, except mothers who were worried about their regular regular conscripts and, and stuff. But then September came, September the 13th, 2022. Putin's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, stated that there will be no mobilization in Russia. Uh, yeah, at that point, everyone knew there would be mobilization because, Putin, because Peskov said there wouldn't be. That's literally how it operates. He told reporters at the time, at the moment, no, this is not on the table. Uh, the previous day, by the way, he had refused to answer a question about mobilization and advised journalists to speak to the defense ministry. The defense ministry, of course, declined to do any comments. Now, let's skip ahead a week to September the 21st. This is when Putin declared mobilization. He said the measure was necessary because Russia was now facing, quote, the entire military machine of the collective West. At the same time, he maintains at the time that uh, the campaign is only a partial mobilization. Sergei Shoigu, the Russian defense minister, stated that 300,000 people will be called up, but the section of Putin's official mobilization order that presumably contained the number of soldiers was just classified. Putin then assured Russians that the draft will primarily affect people who have undergone mandatory military service, who have a military occupation specialty and who have had relevant experience. In obvious reality, that was all a lie. I mean, 
seriously, what else did you expect? And, uh, well, army called up literally everyone without any restrictions, numerous people with no experience at all, and, well, many of them were sent to the battlefield unequipped and with basically without any training. And here you go. <laughs> October 31st. Because, you know, this isn't over yet, just yet. The Russian Defense Ministry at this point declared that mobilization is complete. Military spokesman Igor Konashenkov stated that no more draft orders will be served and that enlistment offices are returning to normal operations. At the same time, Putin does not issue a decree ending mobilization, which is why it's still technically ongoing. Our buddy Peskov, the spokesman, will also later say that the president has consulted with the lawyers and determined that such a decree is, quote, legally unnecessary. And finally, on April the 11th, this year, the Russian state Duma rushed through these new set of amendments that I spoke about in the part one, making everything more hard and terrible and all this stuff. Dmitry Peskov, in response to the situation, claims that the changes are a necessary part of refining the military registration system. When asked whether the authorities will use electronic notices if a second wave of mobilization is declared, he responds, and of course, you can probably recognize this, there will be no second wave. Which is, as, well, every sane person should, uh, we now know that the second wave of mobilization is just forthcoming, inevitable, and, you know, come hell or high water, that will happen. And I know because Peskov literally just blatantly stated that it won't. This, by the way, is, um, once again, this is for the new listeners, this is why I totally don't believe in any nuclear war ever happening, because if they were planning to drop some nukes somewhere, they would be very hush-hush about it. They never do what they say openly. They always just keep it down. And, um, yeah, just another amazing day to be in, in Russia, I suppose. But um, to turn to our, our good old show's friend and buddy and nemesis, and, uh, by the way, a person whose um, caricature we're going to put on some T-shirts and, and sell to people, you just have to email me. I, I've checked the previous emails. I will respond to them uh, in one go. Because, again, I don't sleep already, and I have a lot of things to do, and I'll get to it. I, I promise I'll take some sleep and, and get some sleep, and then I will w wake up and, and finish this stuff. Don't worry. Uh, we still have some of these t-shirts remaining. There's just going to be 15 of them. They're all going to be signed. They're going to be very beautiful. And all the money is going to go to Ukraine. Of course, obviously. Because, well, I don't see any other way how I could um, physically be more evil towards Mr. Gitkin. And Mr. Gitkin, to those of you who don't know, is um, is a war criminal. He literally started the whole insurrection thing in Donbass. He led uh, basically an army of uh, Russian mercenaries, which is a popular thing these days. Everyone has a mercenary unit. It's not just Wagner, by the way. There's plenty of them running around at this point. And uh, yeah, he ran the whole thing, forced uh, under gunpoint the referendum to be held in Crimea. Basically, uh, he's, his role in this was to literally take a gun, enter the parliament building of Crimea, and uh, force the deputies present there to vote for having a referendum, or, you know, they'd be shot. Because, you know, that's how referendums work, I, I presume. So this guy, he's also a monarchist and super ultra-far-right opposition to Putin. Which makes him interesting, because... He thinks Putin is not violent enough and that Putin is not doing enough to win the war. And you know, despite his totally batshit insane political views, because I, I posted the long thing about this on Twitter, please go check it out, I really want to build up my followers again. Basically, he considers that everyone in the West is living in, I don't know, 
in, in a world that would be best described by someone who's so outside to the fringe that he doesn't even register on the map. Like, he believes all the conspiracy theories because he obviously hasn't visited anywhere. But yeah, you know, he runs his little show and Girkin and Friends is a popular theme and we use him all the time because he's a very valuable source of information. Now, and one interesting thing that had happened is that, um, well, Girkin started to show some political ambitions as well. Well, in a way-ish. You see, he um, created his union of um, disgruntled patriots. And, you know, that gathers him and all of his friends that I mentioned the show constantly, Mikhail Kalashnikov and, and even the Kvachkov guy, the, the totally crazy general. And, well, there has been a crackdown on them. You always have asked me why why still is Girkin alive. Well, now I know that he probably won't be for a bit because one of the group, uh, who was a kind of a field doctor, he just gave lectures in Russia somewhere out there, you know, training uh, the new the new soldiers of Russia to, you know, apply first aid. During this, he was arrested and, you know, there's going to be a sort of court on the 18th for discrediting the Russian army because he allowed himself to, you know, criticize the real situation on the field there, which is quite miserable and lack of everything, basically. Now, the problem here being is that the guy who was arrested is, you know, actually had fought himself in, in the war, and he's also gotten a medal straight from Putin. Uh, his medal was for bravery, just saying. So, yeah. And now, as we just found out, Girkin himself is, you know, going to be questioned about his own discreditation, you know, of the Russian military, which involves literally everyone, because previously it did not apply to Wagner Group, but Prigozhin pushed that one through, and uh, now, of, of course, it does. And that just is yet another part of this whole militarization, I think, vandalization of the whole country, if you think about it. Prigozhin, on his own part, of course, you know, made a, made a tout towards, uh, towards Girkin and insulted him because, you know, that's what he does. Prigozhin having sat in the prison for him like, for, for 10 years, by the way, himself, so he's a prisoner through and through. Another nice little reason to advertise my uh, prison culture episodes. You seriously won't understand this war without them. These give you a supreme understanding of this. At least I think so. I have to think so in a way. But you see, uh, Girkin is now facing problems because of because of the situation since Putin has decided that, you know, it's okay when those random marginals who are totally weird criticize you now and then, but now they have political ambitions. And that there is unacceptable because... As we all know, no one in Russia can be more patriotic than Putin himself. And, you know, kind of lucky for us as well, since uh, Girkin's military data is usually of such high quality that, um, you know, Ukrainian army would run into massive problems if only Putin would listen to Girkin. But he never does. Like at all. And it's crazy. But Prigozhin managed to call Girkin the worst way possible. He, he mentioned him in the same context as the so-called Petuhi, you know, the lower case of the Russian prison system. Again, go listen to those episodes. They're actually really good. Which is a very huge insult in the traditionally extremely homophobic uh, Russian prison culture and Russian culture in general. To which, to which by the way, uh, Strelkov answered uh, that, you know, obviously with massive denials. Prigozhin also had, by the way, complained that um, there's new forces in the Russian army, not in Wagner Group right now, but in the army, that are being conscripted from prison population. And... Um, Prigozhin made a huge noise and fuss about the fact that in those units, apparently these Petuhi, the lower case, fight together with the regulars. And, you know, that's totally prison laws and someone protesting against it. And I quote here, Prigozhin states that Russia has always understood and lived by these prison culture laws. 
As a side note there, uh, to, you, to you guys who actually were there with the whole Tracy incident, this is the reason why I asked in that conversation that I, that I only consider people Russia experts if they can answer me the question of do they know the difference between the red and a black colony? A prison colony, that is. Because that thing ties together to this. And if Prigozhin, chief of Wagner Group, blatantly states that you know he'd like all Russians to live by these prison laws, and Putin uses that language and those value systems constantly, then yeah, you probably need to understand this. Just a bit of a quip here, while I still can do it. So now his, uh, his buddies, quite poor as they are, are now struggling to basically set everything in order. And, well, we see yet another phase of this famed infighting, which turns out to be a surprise to people at New York Times, who I kind of doubt even read English, because why would they? They have editors for that. And currently, I don't know how this will go down, but the situation is not looking nice, because once again, the conflicts have escalated between the usual stuff that we mentioned, uh, I don't know, last time, maybe a bit, bit before that, about um, about Russia's Muslims and Russia's ultra-nationalists fighting against each other and yeah, doing way weird, crazy things. Especially right now, there are complaints that in the, the Chechnya regions, the Caucasus and, and all that, that stuff, they're trying to enforce Sharia law there as well. Because, you know, in this war, there's never enough madness or too much madness. There's just, it just is constantly. So, you know. So this, this would, I guess, probably be it for today. Hey, fighting for Bakhmut. But again, you'll hear about that on your whatever mainstream media that you're watching or, or something. It's just, once again, getting crazier and crazier. And I truly hope that atrocities will end and we'll get some peace and I will finally understand what, what it's like to sleep during the nights once again. But yeah, thank you for listening. And um, if you want to become our patron, you like the show, then you can go to patreon.com slash border and become our patron there. And, uh, you know, you can also go to our homepage, theeasternborder.lv. You know, there you can listen to all the episodes without ads, and we have a button that allows you to make a one-time donation. And if you're considering the shirt, well, then just email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com, and we'll put it down until I get to read all these mails. It's going to be interesting. Also have my Twitter to take care of, because, uh, yeah, I really would like my efforts to not be in vain and, you know, reach as many people as possible. It's kind of why I do this show and why I have this mission statement. Oh yeah, one final thing though about, about that whole situation. Apparently, apparently BBC grabbed an interview with Elon Musk and he then posted a uh, kind of four rules about what the ideal reporter should be. You know, as that was just at the end of my totally not sleeping period, I responded to this because, oh boy, it's really fun for computer specialists to point out how everyone should be doing what I'm doing, basically, and sacrificing their sleep and fact-checking all the data and everything. It's really hard to do, guys. It's not an easy job, so... Again, check that one out. And finally, one one last thing is that I noticed that how Twitter actually, actually has changed because I've been away for quite a bit. It's not to my liking because, again, just as soon as I started getting some traction... More and more trolls arrived, but I know that, you know, you can just ignore them and they'll go away eventually. There's no point of arguing with them at all. However, I noticed people shedding interesting news from the Western part. And, uh, well, as I fact-checked a couple of them, I figured out that the main problem with uh, the news on Twitter, which are very radical and, and loud and everything, comes from the fact that it's always someone, some Western source quoting another Western source. And then, you know, the, the real authentic source is somewhere down the line, nobody paying real attention to 
so you know would kind of kind of explain quite a lot of things a case in point was the fact that um, in some of the regions which are closer to the border with ukraine the local governors have decided that they will not be held uh, holding this 9th of may parade which is their most important event uh, of all times because the great war and all that not and they're not going to do this because well officially because of security concerns but practically because well, every every piece of equipment that they could send to the front has been sent to the front. They literally have nothing to parade around, so they just had no other choice. This quite well interesting, albeit you know somewhat neutral news was published on Twitter as um, as I quote: "Putin cancels Victory Day parade, cite security reasons." Putin has actually nothing to do with this, and well, you know, just be careful with what you read and. I, I try to kind of fact-check everything for you there, so hope that works. Haven't forgotten Mastodon as well. I'll get back there as well. It's just that, uh, yet again, overworking takes its, toll, takes its toll on me. But yeah, well, right now, this uh, this finally then would be it. I'll go and grab a bit of sleep. I really need another hour of, or two of napping. And uh, we'll be back as soon as the situation either improves or changes or, or whatever. And I'm pretty sure I've forgotten to mention something here, but... Well, this is as long as it is. I'll get all the other stuff next time. До свидания, товарищи. And as always, remember that happiness is mandatory.